to your Bibles in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Jay, can you grab me a little cup of water? Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we approach your throne humbly as, Lord, we look upon the word that your spirit superintended through Paul. Lord, we ask you to help us. You would pour out your spirit on us and illuminate our minds so that we would understand what it is that Paul is teaching. Lord, that we would understand the triumphant nature of grace, that it would impact us and we would understand what it means to be a new man in Christ. What it means that our old self died with him. And Lord, that we would understand the powerful, all-encompassing nature of the gospel. And that, Lord, we would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all battle with sin, don't we? Every one of us. I'm talking to you as believers. Believers, you battle with sin, don't you? Even though we believe in Jesus and have been united to him through faith, we struggle with sin. Even though we've been born again to new life and have seen real change, we still feel this battle we're in, don't we? Many Christians don't even know how to define the battle. I bet most of you, if I asked you, how do you define this battle you're in? Most of you would be confused by it. I'm often confused by it when I don't think rightly. There have been several popular attempts, by the way, to define it. How do we explain it? Here are a few of the most popular, by the way, all of which I think are wrong. But here's the first one. The reason we still sin is because our physical bodies are inherently sinful. Our physical bodies are inherently sinful. Flesh or the physical body and the whole material universe is just evil and thus we can only become holy through what they call asceticism. This, by the way, is popular in Christian science and some of these groups where they think the material world is bad. It's really a dream and you can find a way to get yourself out of that dream and then you'll have immortality. It was popular in Gnosticism in the early centuries of the church. It continues to be popular even today among professing Christians. How do I know that? Because 
I know professing Christians that pursue asceticism as a way to be more holy. What do I mean by that? If I just deny myself pleasure, I'll get more holy. If I just deny myself the pleasure of sex, as happens in certain Christian movements where sex is not only just for marriage, but just for childbearing, then I'll be more holy. If I withhold from myself the pleasures of food and fast every week, I'll get more holy. If I withhold from myself, on and on and on, there's a constant withholding from yourself any kind of pleasure because we think it makes us holy because we think somehow that physicality is in and of itself evil. We've got to starve out these bodies because all physical desire is just bad. Of course, the problem with this would be that Jesus would then be a sinner, wouldn't he? The one who we say was tempted in every way, yet without sin, he had a physical body, didn't he? He would then be a sinner, wouldn't he? The other problem with this is we would say the new creation in which we still have physical bodies upon the resurrection, we would still have physicality. There would be evil there. Big problems. It's just not true. Second, the reason we still sin, the second thing it said, is because we've made Jesus our Savior, but not our Lord. Have you guys heard this one? Jesus is my Savior, but He's not yet my Lord. This theory holds that it's possible He's saved and to experience no substantive change. God's grace doesn't reign in your life. You just have salvation. picture is completely contrary to Paul's description of what it means to be saved or the gospel in Romans 1 through 8. I'll, I'll give you the first reasons contrary. What's the problem of our sin in Romans 1? The problem of our sin is that we deny the lordship of God, isn't it? We exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. The problem is we reject God as our Lord. That's what Jesus came to save us from. He didn't come to save us so we can be forgiven and continue rejecting him as Lord. It's completely contrary to the gospel. Second, it's completely contrary to Paul's description of grace and the absolute triumphant nature of grace. It pretends that somehow when grace comes to save you, that all it does is forgives your sin and that there's no change that happens. Look, God did not bring you salvation so he could leave you dead in sin. It's not what he did. He's more gracious than that. In other words, my problem with this view is that it's got a really ungracious God attached to it. A God who would leave you dead in your sin. Just forgive you your sins, but then leave you dead there in it. Third, the reason we still sin is because we have two identities now. You guys have heard this. It was popular among a movement in the 1800s and 1900s known as the Plymouth Brethren Movement. Some of you have probably heard of the Plymouth Brethren, but essentially, most of you probably haven't, essentially what they argued and which has become very popular in Christian circles is that we now have two identities now that we're believers. We have a new man in Christ and we have an old man the person we were before Christ. We have our old identity or self that has fallen in Adam, and we have our new spiritual identity or self 
that is righteous in Christ. And we battle between these two identities. And what we need to do is crucify our old self every day so that eventually the new self is the only thing we're submitting to. That's the argument. Again, this is not Paul's picture of what happens to us when we're saved. It's not his picture of what happens to us when we're saved. So what is it? Well, we're going to talk about what it is, why we battle, what's going on that when we're believers and we're changed and we're this new man in Christ, why do we still struggle with sin? I just read an article about Christian recording artist Ray Bolts. Have you guys ever heard of Ray Bolts? Everybody know who he is? Some of you guys know who he is, some of you don't. If you were into Christian music in the 80s when it was really lame, you know who Ray Bolts is. Right? When it was too embarrassing to put on the radio. Um, he was particularly popular in the late 1980s and the early 1990s. Particularly popular. He wrote this song that most of you have probably heard. It's really memorable. Um, it's this song where there's a scene of, of you know, you're in heaven and, and uh, you go up. There's a scene in heaven where this boy comes up to this man and says, you don't remember me, but I was in your Sunday school class. You know, and now I'm here because of you. And then he has this chorus that goes, thank you for giving to the Lord. For I'm a life that was saved. You guys heard of that? A lot of people heard that song. Well, I read an article about him. It talks about how after a reportedly, by him, by the way, reportedly happy 33-year marriage. Happy 33-year marriage. That included two grown children. After all that, he ended up in deep depression and feeling suicidal. After a great stellar Christian recording artist career, after 33 years of happy marriage and two grown children that he has a great relationship with, he was in depression and despair. And it says this, that he divorced his wife, which she supported because... He wanted to live a gay lifestyle. In other words, he was a wreck all that time, he says, because down deep inside, he was always a homosexual. That's what he says. And so now he is in a gay relationship. And he reports that no matter how hard he tried, no matter how hard he tried, he always felt like he was hiding the truth. Now, I want you to hear this. He was hiding the truth about who he is. Do you hear that important phrase? He was hiding the truth about who I am, he said. Ray identified himself by his sin. Do you hear that? He was identifying himself based on his sin. He is identifying himself based on what? The old man, isn't he? That's lost in sin. And no matter how hard I tried to overcome that old man, no matter how hard I worked at it, I just couldn't do it. That's who I am. And I had to let everybody know so I could finally have freedom. Because I was tired of hiding who I am. I'm that old, dead, sinful man. That's who I am. That's what he's saying. It's as if he never experienced a radical change as a result of receiving the grace of God in Christ. He talks like someone who's never been freed from the dominion of sin, who's still in the old man. That's how he talks. 
How could this be if he's a professing Christian? How could it be if he wrote such good songs? I think it's likely that the gracious work of God of saving Ray Bolts and changing him, I think it's likely it never happened. I think the radical, life-changing grace of God in Christ may be what Ray Bolts' life was missing all along. And when I say this, I'm not doing so because he struggles with sin. I, I want you to be clear about this. I'm not saying it because he struggles with sin. I'm saying it because he believes that fundamentally he's that old man. He believes that fundamentally he had to bring change to his life. You hear that? He had to do it. In fact, he says this. Listen to his own statement about his conversion. Here's his statement about his conversion. That evening, the night he was converted to Christ, had a profound impact on my life, he says. I realized that this was the truth and that Jesus was alive, and that's really where I made a commitment to Christ. Now, I want you to hear this. I decided I could be born again. You hear that? I decided I could be born again, and all the things I was feeling in the past would fall away, and I'd have this new life. How? I would get it for myself. Do you hear that problem? If you go back and listen to his songs, he thinks he's going to save himself. I went through and read them. He thinks if I just work hard enough, I can finally make myself new and overcome this sin. If I just put enough effort into it, I could birth myself again. Not God, please, I'm pleading to you, pour out your grace because I can't possibly do anything without you. But I can do it if I work hard enough. That was his conversion experience. Unless you think it's just on that line that I go off of. Listen to the line from his newest song. Look, let's just listen to the title of his newest song since he's been out. It's called God Knows I Tried. God Knows I Tried. He goes on and says this, I was so good at pretending like an actor on a stage. This is from the song. But in the end, nobody knew me, only the roles that I portrayed. And I'd rather have you hate me knowing who I really am. Do you hear that? than to try and make you love me being something that I can't. He's got part of that song right, doesn't he? He can't be a new man apart from the grace of God being poured out on him. He can't. It's true. He's in slavery to his sin and he can't work his way out of it. But God knows he tried. You know what? I believe him. I believe that Ray Bolt's right. He probably tried harder than I've ever tried. 33 years he tried and failed. He tried to kill that old man. He tried to be a new man and failed for 33 years. No wonder he despaired. Because somehow, down deep, Ray thought he had to do it. That's the fundamental problem. Unless the grace of God is poured out on you, uniting you to Christ and breaking the reign of sin in your life, you can't be holy. Do you hear that? You cannot change.
So when I hear, and I'm not going to give you much of more of a lecture on homosexuality, but let me say this. When I hear a homosexual person say to me, I didn't choose this. I don't even want it, but there's nothing I can do about it. I believe them. You know why I believe them? Not because I think they have a gay gene. I believe them because I also believe the guy I talk to in my office where he says, I can't stop looking at internet porn. I am trying and I can't stop. I also believe the guy who sits at lunch with me and says, man, I keep lusting after women who are not my wife. And it's a constant battle. And I believe the guy who says, I got on the alcohol and I can't seem to get off. And I believe, do you understand what I'm saying here? We get trapped in our sin and we cannot make ourselves change. And when we work at it, thinking that somehow we can get Jesus to partner with us in fixing us, which is what most people think the gospel is. Jesus went to the cross to die so he could help me. He could come alongside me and be my buddy. And the two of us with each other could walk arm in arm toward victory together. And that's what they think of Jesus. Jesus isn't your divine butler who assists you. He isn't your buddy who walks arm in arm and helps you somehow overcome your sin. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and to resurrect to new life so that you can resurrect to new life. So he could pour God's abundant grace out upon you and radically change you. It's his work, not yours. That's why the Bible says if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's not optional. And it's not a future state of the believer. It's a current state of the believer. However, even believers, some of you and me, who've experienced this life change, who've seen radical change in your life, even we continue to struggle with sin, don't we? It's not like... I finally got the gospel right, and now I don't sin anymore. Thank God. Come to my house, check me out. I don't do anything wrong ever. Right? If you can get a little camera in my mind, everything going on in there is pure and righteous and holy and humble. Right? Is that what happens for all of you? That's true for me, not for you. That's <laughs> not true for any of us. So we ask, why? well, how do we change then? So what do we do? Why are we still struggling then? Well, let me say this. You can't experience what you don't know. If you don't know the truth, that's Ray Bolt's problem. He didn't know the truth, so he couldn't experience it. Do you hear that? I'm not not banging on the guy. I actually have a ton of compassion for him. Because I see a guy who worked really hard at trying to get out of this, and he couldn't. But you can't experience what you do not know. You cannot subjectively experience an objective truth you don't know. Do you hear that? Your heart has to follow your mind. Let me give you an example. I want you to all feel this. Tell me what you feel. Just stop and think. What do you feel when I say this? Blick. Do you feel anything? You don't even know what blick is, do you? How do you ascribe a feeling to blick? You can't, can you? Because you don't know what blick means. What is blick? Blick could be good. Blick could be bad. Blick could make something make me laugh. Blick could make me sad. I don't know what blick is. I have no idea how to feel it. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
if you don't know the truth of something, you can't experience it. You can't love what you don't know. Your heart has to follow your mind. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Not by having as many great experiences as possible, but by the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to change so that you experience the truth. I was just telling somebody earlier, um, uh, Earl actually asked me the question earlier. He goes, how do you feel? I, or he says, how are you doing? I said, better than I deserve, which is a common phrase for me. And he says, well, that's vague because that's always true. And I said, yeah. He goes, how do you feel? I said, not consistent with the truth. And so it doesn't matter. You hear that? My feelings were not consistent with the truth. And so they're a lie. You have to know the truth and experience things consistently with that. Do you hear that? And sometimes your body lies to you, which we'll get to in a minute. It's exactly why Paul, by the way, because he knows your mind has to change, it's exactly why he starts off explaining the objective truth of how grace has triumphed in our lives through Christ before he turns on how to command us. He's going to command us to do something, but before Paul commands us to do something, he wants to say, first, I need to tell you the truth about what grace has accomplished in you before I command you to go and do something consistent with that. I'm going to tell you the truth about it. He wants to give us a description of who we are in Christ, our new identity. So turn to Romans 6, 2, and here he gives it to us. And I'm going to try to break this passage down as quickly as I can for you. After asking the question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul gives this answer. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can those of us who died in to sin, when Christ died on the cross, we died. That's where it was accomplished to sin. It was applied when we believed. How can we who died to sin, past tense, continue to live in it, present tense? How can we continue to habituate it in our lives if it's true that we died to it? He's talking about your identity. Your old self is dead. Why would you continue to live in that? How can we? And he goes off and he wants to break that down. So for 12 verses or so, he explains what he means. And look what he goes on and says. Do you not know, verse 3? Interestingly, this verse 3 through 5 is the first section, okay? When he explains verse 2, 3 through 5, he explains it kind of generally. And then 6 through 10, he explains it more specifically. Starts off with generality, and then it goes into specifics. So here's the generality. Do you not know? By the way, you're going to hear that word come up again and again. Do you not know? Knowing that, knowing that, do you not know? Why? Paul wants you to know the truth to experience it. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... We too might walk in newness of life. Hear that? We died with Christ. And that was symbolized in our baptism in which we were plunged into his death and resurrected to new life. You died. You rose again. 
just like Christ died and rose again so that you would have newness of life. That's the triumphant power of grace in your life. It killed the old man and it resurrected a new one. But he goes on and says this, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's a summary statement of what Paul's saying. You were dead and buried and risen a new life. For if we've been united to him, with him in a death like his, hear that? We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Died, rose to new life, and will rise. Future tense. In the future, we will resurrect. But it's interesting he uses this word like. Unless we think that we actually died on the cross that day, like you were somehow transported there in your pre-incarnate soul or some goofy doctrine like that, okay? And that you'll somehow, you know, you've already resurrected from the dead in a real physical sense. Lest we get too carried away with this, he wants us to understand how much we've identified with Christ. We've identified with him in a death like his. Do you hear that? And a resurrection like his. If you look at Romans chapter 8 verse 3, He uses the same phrase in verse 3 of chapter 8. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You hear that? Jesus didn't come in sinful flesh. Jesus came in the likeness of it because Jesus didn't come as a corrupt, fallen man. Jesus came holy. Hear that? In the likeness of it. But it was a lot like us because he had a body and a soul like we have. The difference between Jesus and us was Jesus wasn't fallen. He wasn't corrupted by sin. We are. So he's like us, but not exactly. Because he's not fallen. And what he's saying is we died with Christ, but not exactly in the same way. None of us were pinned up to the cross. And and we've resurrected like him, but, but not exactly like him. First start spiritually, and then it'll be physical. Do you understand that? What he's saying? He's making this comparison. This is the broad terms. These are the broad terms. To what it means to, you died to sin, how can you still live in it? Here's the broad generalization. You died with Christ. You rose to new life. Do you not understand that? Now he wants to get specific. In case you don't, church at Rome, let me get specific with you. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. He wants to get specific. We know, interesting that word comes up again, huh? Knowing that. This is the first part of it. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. I, I read verse 6 and 7 first because I want you to understand something and I want you to hear this. Paul gives us an outline in verse 5 of what he's going to say in 6 through 10. Here's the outline. If we've been united with him in a death like his. First part. Verse 6 and 7 fall under that. We've been united with him in a death like his. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. The body of sin might be brought to nothing. Verse 7. For one who's died has been set free. And then the second part of verse 5. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's the second part of the outline Paul lays out in verse 8 through 10. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, you hear that? 
So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In verse 11, you guys hear what he's doing? He's breaking these into two parts. And he wants you to understand in specific what it means to have died to sin and in specific what it means to have risen to new life. Paul wants you to understand that. Because if you don't understand your identity in Christ, you don't know how to live the Christian life. So he wants to make it clear. So let's take the first part of it. We're united with him in a death like his. That's all we're going to take this morning. We're united with him in a death like his. He addresses it in Romans 6 and 7. He starts with this word, no. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You need to stop and hear this. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, your old self is dead. Because you were crucified with him, past tense. The you that you knew prior to faith is not you anymore. That you is dead. You hear Paul say it in Galatians 2.20. I, listen to what he says, I have been, what, crucified with Christ. And yet I live. Listen to this. But not I, but Christ who lives within me. Do you hear that? Paul understands you died. Yet you live physically, but why? It's not you by yourself. It's Christ who lives in you now. The old self died with Christ. Some people think that when they believe, they now added the Holy Spirit to their lives. This is what happens. I believed I added the Holy Spirit to my life, and uh, I have a new self. But my old self's still alive. That's what I was talking about with the Plymouth Brethren earlier. That these two selves, the old self and the new self, battling each other. In fact, many of them think they have to kill the old man so the Holy Spirit empowered new man can be in primary control and that's what this Christian battle is. They think their spiritual battle is based in a war between their old man and their Holy Spirit empowered new man. That's what they think it's about. How many of you guys kind of have that impression? Honestly, most of you, that's what the spiritual battle is. As if your old self and your new self are both still alive. And they appeal to Ephesians 4 and to Colossians 3. So I want you to grab both of those texts, and we don't have much time, so I want you to grab them quick. Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. And I, I, keep your finger in Romans and turn to those two also. And I want you to hear the text they appeal to, which might seem to confuse us. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is telling the church how to behave. And he says this in verse 22. He's commanding them and he says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That sure sounds like we still have the old self and new self, doesn't it? Because he's commanding us, put off the old self, put on the new self. Look at Colossians 3, hold your hand there and Ephesians 4 will come back. Verse 9 and 10. Colossians 3, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You hear that again? It seems to be this, put off the old self, put on the new self, put off the old self, put on the new self. But I thought Paul said in Romans chapter 6, the old self was crucified with Christ. I thought he said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, you've been cru- I've been crucified with Christ. So what is it? 
Why do I have to put off an old self that's dead? Doesn't make any sense. Why do I have to put on a new self if it's already the reality? Look, what Paul's telling you to do is live consistently with what's true about you. What he's saying is, don't go back to that old dead man and try to resurrect him. He's dead. Live behaviorally in a way that's consistent with what God has said is true of you as a new man. Put off the practices, by the way, if you look at Colossians chapter 3 and in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about practices. Put off the practices, in a sense, associated with the old self and put on the practices that are associated with the new self. Why? Because that's the reality. Lest you think that Paul doesn't believe that, look at the context. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Listen to Paul's context. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are earth. Verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is your life, appears. You hear that? You think he understands this properly? Do you think that's consistent, by the way, with Galatians 2.20? When Christ who is your life, I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not I, but Christ who lives within me. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul also gives us the context for what he means in chapter 4 when he says this in verse 1 through 4, and you were dead in the trespasses and transgression, uh, trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, you were dead in those sins. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working, the son of, sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Notice how this is all past tense. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Past tense, were by nature. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The old self has died. The new self has been made alive. Live consistently with it. That's Paul's point. You don't have two competing people in you. You don't have your old man and your new man fighting in your body. Your old man's dead. You have the new man. That's what Paul's getting at in Romans chapter 6. You have the new man. But he goes on and he says this. Why? What's the purpose of the fact that your old man was crucified with Christ? Look at chapter, or verse, chapter 6 of Romans verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that. Hear this? In order that. Here's the purpose. The body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we'd no longer be enslaved to sin. He tells us there's two purposes. So the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we wouldn't be slaves to sin. Your old man was crucified with Christ, so the body of sin would be brought to nothing, so that you would no longer be slaves to sin. What does he mean, the body of sin? The old self's dead. New self's alive. What in the world's the body of sin, Paul? Thank you very much. Your terminology isn't helping me here. Right? What do you mean, the body of sin? I thought you said our old self is dead. Why does it have to be brought to nothing or made of no effect? What do you mean, Paul? He explains what the body of sin is. 
What Paul's talking about is your physical body and your mind. What he's talking about is your environment. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you died to the penalty of sin in Christ on the cross. You died to the power of sin in Christ on the cross, but you're still in the presence of sin. And the reason you died to the penalty and to the power is so that the presence of it wouldn't dominate you anymore. You hear that? You died to the penalty of it and the power of it, so the presence of it would no longer control you. It would be made of no effect. Lest you think that the body of sin is something other than what's contained in you, it's the habituation of sin in your life. You guys know you've habituated sin in your life, right? It doesn't just go away instantly. You've habituated it in your minds, haven't you? Your minds think wrongly. Your hearts desire inordinately. Paul goes on in chapter 7. Look what he says in chapter 7, just, just quickly, because I don't have time to prove this whole contention. But look what he says in chapter 7, verse um, 22 through 24. He's dealing with his own struggle with sin. He says this, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's his new self. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, my new self. But I see in my members... Right? I see in my body another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? How many of you guys feel that way? I delight in God's truth. I know the old Chad is dead and the new Chad is risen in Christ. I know that. Because I delight in God's truth. For His glory. Not just for my good, but for His glory. I delight in it. Yet, at the same time I'm delighting in it, I feel in my body and my mind and all around me this other law at work. This law that makes me want to sin. At the same time I'm delighting. You guys, you guys experience that? That's what Paul's talking about. He doesn't say there's two men. You're a new man. But that law that makes me want to sin makes me want to cry out sometimes, oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord because he has and he will. He's delivered us from the penalty of it. He's delivered us from the power of it. And eventually he will deliver us from the presence of it. Sex isn't a problem, right? Sexual desire is not sin. It's the abuse of it that we've habituated in our lives that causes that desire to be a problem. Desire to eat is not a problem. It's the abuse of it that we've habituated into our lives that causes it to be a problem. Do you hear that? What we've done in this body of sin is we have habituated inordinate desires. We have taken what God has given us naturally and we've perverted it. And just because we become new men, just because God gives us a new self and he gives us a removal of the penalty for that and a removal of the power of that over us doesn't mean that's gone away. It's still a battle. But it's a battle you can win. And that you will win. Because Paul goes on and says this in Romans 6. 
says this in verse 6, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you hear that? Sin still has power over your bodies and your minds. It still affects you, but it isn't triumphant anymore. Grace is triumphant now. You are now able to do what you were not able to do. You are now able to live righteous in Christ Jesus, and you were not in your old man able to do that. Now you're able to, but the battle's on, isn't it? Because you've habituated that sin in your life for so long. But you're not a slave to it anymore. That's what Paul's telling you. Do you hear that? No, Ray Bolts. If you're in Christ, that person that struggled with homosexuality is not who you are. That person is dead. Don't run back to him and try to redawn him and resurrect him. He's dead. You guys have struggled with sin, haven't you? Don't go back and try to resurrect the old man. He's dead. It doesn't have power over you. It is not your slave master anymore, which is why Paul says, don't go running back to your old slave master. You've been freed. He goes on, he makes this incredible statement. Slavery to sin. He says this in Romans 6, 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. It's not your slave master anymore. It doesn't own you or control you. You can live differently in Christ. What does that mean we need to change? I'm going to finish with this. If you're a believer, if you're a believer in Christ, you need to first know the truth about your new identity in Christ. You first need to know the truth about your new identity in Christ. And then you need to consider it true and live consistently with it. Don't give up and say, that's just who I am, that person over there. No, it's not. That person is dead. Who you are is a, is a believer in Christ. You're a new creation. You now have the power in Christ by his spirit to overcome that. Understand your identity and live consistently with it. If you're not a believer, which some of you here are not, you need to first come to Christ in faith, knowing that not only will he remove the penalty of sin from you, he will free you from its power. It will not dominate you anymore. And eventually, on that day, the battle will be completely won because he will free you from its presence. And we will with Paul, all of us, say, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your gospel. And Lord, I know that we struggle in this battle with sin, Lord, because it's been habituated in our lives. But remind us of our identity in you, that we are a new man in Christ that our old self is dead and the new self is alive to God in Christ Jesus. Teach us that, Lord, so that we would no longer live as if sin had power over us, but we would live as those who are alive to God. And, Lord, that we would know that in you we are able to overcome it. Lord, help us to live consistently with it. Help us to continually 
reaffirm what we know to be true, that our old self is dead and our new self is alive by continually putting off the practices of the old self and continually putting on the practices of the new self. Lord, we need you to do this powerful work in our lives. And Lord, we need you to teach us to trust that you have and that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.